which instead of using the regular words and our voices, we're actually going to do in mind this time. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic, perhaps unconventional episode of Keep It Fictional, which instead of using the regular words and our voices, we're actually going to do in mind this time. It's going to be the first all-mime podcast. Sadie's already giving like two thumbs up. Sadie's ready to do it. I I feel like as someone who has a theater background, Sadie is going to have a definite advantage in this. Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, However, Fiona does not look thrilled at this idea. So perhaps we will instead just talk about unconventional formats for books. See how I did that? Just kind of slid that through. Yeah. So have you ever made a decision or a suggestion? And then as soon as it came time to kind of like implement it, immediately regretted that suggestion. Um, This has kind of been what it has been for this particular topic at first. However, then I kind of dug a little bit more deep into kind of what different ways the novel can be presented and actually found that I enjoy a lot of these different kinds of formats. So a book is a book, unless it's a book that's also a script, or a book that is also a collection of letters, or a book that is a collection of emails, or text messages, or billboards, or dare I say it, one day I'm sure there will be a novel that is just entirely emojis. We're getting there. I believe it will happen. So yeah, a a novel in the kind of format that we think it has been, has been kind of played around with for centuries since its inception. So because of what we think of a novel and its very straightforward narrative as the norm doesn't necessarily mean that is the same norm for all writers or for all cultures. What we think of a story can be told in so many different and wonderful ways. I think that we've seen some really exciting experiments with the genre of the novel in different formats um, that are kind of getting some renown. Um, They could be novels in verse, which I'm going to talk about with the poet X. So that is a book told entirely through poems. Some of them that stick to a particular structure, some of them that don't. We've had a fantastic National Book Award winner, Interior Chinatown, which was written like a movie script. Or if you even think back to YA, uh, Walter Dean Meyer's monster book, again, written as a script to a movie and yet somehow as compelling, as engaging, as fantastic as a regular novel itself. You can think about the Guernsey potato pie literary, potato peel pie and literary society. It's a mouthful, a mouthful. Or one of my favorite books of all time, 84 Charing Cross Road, which are all written as letters, letters written to and from characters. It could be a diary format, like the classic Bridget Jones's Diary and, you know, others that were not as good. Prince's Diaries was okay. Um, It can also be instant messages. So I think Meg Cabot and Rainbow Rowell have written books that are a combination of 
prose and text messages and instant messages on kind of like Slack. I think Virginia also read a novel this summer that was just done through instant messages or through Slack. So even though it is unconventional, it's a little bit unexpected, it can still have the same emotional resonance as a regular prose book. So I'm curious kind of for our panel of how difficult it was to find a book for this topic and whether you do find yourself gravitating towards a book with maybe an unconventional format or as soon as you open it up and you see not enough text on those pages that you just kind of like gently shut it and put it back on the shelf. So Sadie, what if, are you an unconventional reader? I am not. I am not. Um, so this is actually something that you mentioned my theater training. This is something that I have learned through my theater training. So I have a background in contemporary theater as well as a background in musical theater. They are very different styles. One is much more conventional than the other. Um, just even looking at format. And one of the things that I have learned through this training is I like a linear formatted narrative. And so that's not to say that you can't get that in a different formatted structure of a novel. Um, I think that in a screenplay format or things like that, you still get that kind of linear story. But I find often that when it's an unconventional structure, it sometimes has that unconventional narrative as well that goes along with it. And, and I struggle with that. I definitely do. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah, like I said, it's something I fought against through the four and a half, five years that I did my theater training. Um, it is something that I argued with instructors about um, throughout that training. And I eventually gave into and just kind of allowed myself to go along on that journey uh, during that time. Um, but it was, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for being honest. Like I, it, it is, you make a good point that sometimes it's not, it's even the narrative structure that is not linear, not straightforward. Looking at you, Witcher, looking at you, but it can be, that can also kind of shake you out of your expectations of what a reading experience should be like. So thank you for your theatrical perspective. You're welcome. All right, Liz, how about you? I know that you you love a good like literary novel, but did you find it hard to find one in an unconventional format? Yeah, also a format that I don't gravitate towards and I completely agree with Sadie. Um, there's just some narrative structures that require too much mental gymnastics. I mean, story notwithstanding. Sometimes it, it really works. Like for example, Tanya Tagak's Split Tooth there's poetry and there's stories uh, in their memoir um, writings, but to switch mentally back and forth between the two, I get, you know, different storytelling formats work for different uh, things you're trying to convey, but it's hard sometimes. It's just, <laughs> it's just a lot to take in sometimes. So I appreciate the efforts, um, but not really what I will pick up willingly. Okay, so this has been a force feed of a podcast choice for you. All right, perfect. What about you, Virginia? Uh, I think I have a love-hate relationship with them. I think when they're done well, like Interior Chinatown, it's so perfect for that book. It makes sense. It has to make sense. And I love, opposite to Sadie, I love like weird random narratives that like all mess is all messy. I love it. I love that kind of timeline. Love it. So I like that stuff, but it has to be done well. Like the Witcher adaptation is just badly done. Like there's no reason why it has to be so like it has no reason, no reason for that 
timeline to exist at all, which is not like the book. So the books are great. Go read the books. Forget about the adaptation. I hate the adaptation so much. And Yennefer just is not, it's wrong, wrong. Anyway, um, totally off tension here. But I think like when it's done well, a narrative that is unconventional can be so much fun to read because that's the part of it is you're also enjoying how it manipulates the story. I love that. So, hmm. okay. Okay. That's fair. And Fiona, what about you? Big fan for sure. Uh, I had a trouble choosing a book because I don't think I was really thinking about things as unconventional because maybe they're a little bit more of like what I gravitate towards. Um, like I think, you know, graphic novels are not necessarily unconventional, but that idea of bringing in pictures or another format um, just to have a different way to tell the story uh, is totally something I gravitate towards as someone who struggled to learn to read. Um, all of those things, novels and verse make things like so accessible um, and change the experience a little bit. I also, I love novelty, like that can bring me to a book just because it's different. And I'd say like, I'm less afraid of the mental gymnastics and more afraid of the like lack of focus. So anything that brings me in, splits up the page, just like really helps a lot. Nice. I love it when we have a little split, a little split in the party. That's, that's good. That's good. Um, I will say I'm a big fan of epistolary novels. I love I love letters. I find something so like charming and quaint about a novel that's written in letters. I love diaries. Yeah, I just find something very interesting about it that kind of like makes me look at the story a little bit different and kind of feel it a little bit more immediately because I'm not being told what the characters are feeling. I'm experiencing it along with them and you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes to experience things because the author is not going to tell you how they interpret things. So yeah, but it it, it, it is... To, like to each their own right to each their own except for the witcher adaptation was absolutely fine virginia i don't know what you're talking about henry cavill did not bulk himself up for nothing who cares just go read the books people go read the books but the song virginia but the song let's not get go there that would be the entire episode let's not go there very well. We do not want to give short shrift to our unconventional format so i'm going to pass it on we'll start with people who are maybe more ambivalent about it and then we'll move more into people who are very comfortable with it so we kind of end on a high note although I'm sure all the books that you have chosen are absolutely fabulous so let's start with uh Sadie Sadie what did you end up landing on all right so I did the um wonderful research aspect of this and googled books with unconventional formats to try and find something to read um, and a few came up, and the one that I landed on is called The Lover's Dictionary. It's by David Levithan, who is a uh, well-known uh, YA author. And this book is basically what it promises. So within the title, you would think dictionary, you would think love, uh, maybe some romance, a love story. It is that. It is basically a love story, a romance, a relationship that is told in dictionary entries. So each page has a word and then a little snippet of a story. And so each of the stories have to do with the word. And so they do, they kind of say what the word is, abyss, it's a noun, and then a little snippet of this relationship story. And it essentially tells the story of this person's relationship. It, um, it is sort of an unnamed, ungendered narrator 
and the relationship that they have to their unnamed ungendered partner, um, which I really appreciated that aspect of it. It's there's no kind of defining features of either person. And so anyone who is reading it can kind of see themselves potentially in those instances and see themselves in that relationship. One thing that was really cool is it is said that it it tells, it chronicles of relationship kind of from beginning all the way through, but you don't necessarily have to read it like that. So I, when I was reading it more, just read it as little snippets, sometimes from the same relationship, sometimes from different relationships. And so I, I, I did appreciate kind of that more open format to it. So you could kind of read it as one story. Some of them did relate back to other other entries. So some of them were very, very much connected and you could tell that, um, but some of them weren't. And so you could kind of envision it however you wanted to, um, which I think really opens it up for people to, to kind of see themselves, as I said, see themselves in this story and relate to kind of each of these little, little vignettes. I did read it and relate it a lot to theater in my mind, I could picture it being done as a play. I could picture it being done as little kind of vignettes and little scenes. And I think that it would actually be a really good adaptation to the stage, not to the screen. I think to the screen would be a not would, would not work, but to the stage, I think would be a really interesting adaptation. In, in a way, and I don't mean this in the bad way, but it, in a way it was forgettable in, in such that I think you can read it over and over again. And so because there is no necessarily linear story to it, you don't necessarily always connect each of the vignettes or each of the definitions back to the other ones. And so there's nothing that you can kind of hold on to. And so it does sound like a bad thing, but it's not. Like I do mean that as a good thing where I think that it's something that you can go back to over and over and over again. And I think that the little snippets are just things that people can kind of relate to. And so if you're feeling a certain way, if you're wanting to kind of just like delve into the story for a little bit, you can you can go back and read really any of them. They don't have to be read in order. Um, they go in an alphabetical order of a dictionary, uh, just because that is the format of it, but they don't have to be read in that way. So definitely a very unconventional format, very unconventional linear aspect to it, kind of non-linear um, narrative to it. Um, and I just, uh, my favorite one was the entry for love, where they say, love, I'm not even going to try. And that's all that it says for the entry on love. So I will leave you with that. Love, I'm not even going to try. Uh, that is The Lover's Dictionary by David Levithan. That was fantastic, Sadie. So interesting. Mm. So interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I, like I said, when I read it, I did not connect the, the snippets to each other, except like the, the odd one where it was very obvious referencing back to one that they'd, that they'd already done. But I, I was looking it up today and it very clearly said like, this is the story of this relationship, of one relationship. And so it can be read in so many different ways, which I think is one of the benefits of an unconventional format like that is that there's kind of when you have something more structured, there's, there's really only one way to read it. Whereas this one however you want to. Like I can see it as like a, a coffee table book with someone, when you have guests over, you just pick it up and like open it up to a random page and, and read. Um, they're all short. I think there's only a handful of them that are longer than a page. And yeah. Very, th thank you so much for, for bringing this to the podcast, Sadie. Very interesting one. 
Yeah, not a lot of books retelling the dictionary. So, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> say, is it the Devil's Dictionary? Um, is the only other one that I can think of. But even that isn't a narrative. So to that, what what an exercise! What a what a coup in writing to to kind of use the dictionary format. Very cool. Thank you so much, Sadie. All right. Um, going on to our other ambivalent person. Uh, let's go to Liz. Liz, what did you end up going with? Well, I thought since I was required to find something with an unconventional format, I thought let's have a little fun with this. Um, and I found a book that I had picked up previously. I didn't hang on to it for very long, but you know, I'm a very mood-based reader, so maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it at the time. So don't mean to start this off on a negative note for this book, but this time when I picked it up, um, I had a lot of fun with it. I think I have appreciated it more this time around um, now that I was in the um, unconventional format mindset. So that being said, this book is called Romeo and or Juliet, and it is a Choosable Path Adventure by Ryan North. I guess choose your own adventure is a copyrighted term. As children, you may have enjoyed that series of books wherein you will start reading the story and then you will come to a crossroads in that story and it will say, if you want to do A, turn to page whatever. If you want to do B, turn to page whatever. Um, so this book pretty much follows that, but it has a lot of twists to it. Now, Ryan North is a Canadian author, and if his name sounds familiar, it may be if you have written, uh, read Adventure Time or Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comics, if you've read How to Invent Everything, which is in our nonfiction section. Um, and he's also done a similar choosable path adventure book called To Be or Not To Be, which is based off of Hamlet. Now, as you can see, this book is quite meaty because there are a lot of paths that your journey can take. And what sort of expands upon this book a bit more is all of the illustrations contained within. There are innumerable comic artists and illustrators who have contributed to this book. There are literally six pages of artist credits in the back of the book. So a lot of uh, Ryan North's peers in the comics community have contributed a lot of Canadian names as well, which I thought was pretty cool, um, giving them some exposure. So there are so many paths that you can take. A lot of the paths that you can take are quite small. Some are only a paragraph before you need to make another decision. Um, this is definitely for adults. Uh, there's a lot of sex in here, a lot of death. There's so much dying. Um, so definitely for more mature readers, adult readers, You'll even find little surprises within. So not to spoil anything, but there is a mini graphic novel story inside that recounts the story of another pair of Starcrust lovers. There is also another Choose Your Own Adventure Within that is a riff off of Midsummer Night's Dream, so a story within a story. There is a lot going on in here, and while I have enjoyed the paths that I've taken, I was saying to Virginia the other day, I don't really know how I can ever say that I've read the book. Like I have completed the book. How do I know other than basically reading every single section all the way through that I have read every single word in this book? I don't really know, but kind of like Sadie's book, I feel like it's one that you, you could just have around and then pick up, flip through, maybe not even start at the beginning again, maybe just 
find an illustration or a section that kind of piques your interest and then see where it goes from there because um, you're probably already well familiar with the Romeo and Juliet story. But in this case, there are many different twists and turns where maybe Juliet is a more, um, let's say, independent woman or you know, maybe she falls for her handmaiden. I don't know, who knows? You'll have to read the book and see which path you take. So again, that's Romeo and or Juliet by Ryan North. Excellent choice, Liz, excellent choice. Now I have to ask, cause I know I did this as a kid. Do you cheat when you do choose your own adventures? How so? Oh, well you kind of put your, put your finger in where the choice is, and then you flip to both of the choices, and then you choose the better one. Clearly, Liz and I are not cheaters, because we're like, how? Exactly. What do you mean cheating in a choose-your-own-adventure? No, I will follow it through to the end. Because usually one of the choices is you die. Then you have, then you can go back. Then, then you, you die. die. You die, and then you go back to the crossroads. start all over again. I don't think it's cheating to follow one path and then go back to the crossroads and then follow the other path. But do I preview the two? No. I have an anecdote I want to share, which is that I have a distinct memory of when I was a kid, my brother loved the um, Goosebumps, Choose Your Own Adventures. And I remember coming upon him uh, just in complete tears um, because he had made a choice in Goosebumps that caused another kid to die in the story. And he was just wrecked. So like, you know, don't... Uh, don't underestimate the, <laughs> the seriousness of making the wrong choice in a choose-your-own-adventure. If only he'd cheated, it would have been a lot easier for him, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I not like that, Corrine. You can't preview what's going to happen. But if I could, and if you could, wouldn't you, Liz? Wouldn't you? Apparently not. <laughs> All right, we go back to our unconventional formats and why don't we swing it over to Virginia. Virginia, what is the book that you would like to champion? All right, so I did the same thing as Sadie. When I saw the topic, I was like, okay, well, unconventional. So in my mind, I know I'm going to get flagged for this. In my mind, a novel in verse, novel in letters, I wasn't thinking, even thinking about that. I feel like those are not necessarily unconventional in my mind. So I was trying to be like, okay, what is really unconventional? So same thing, went and did a research and find, I think, the perfect book for this. And so the book I want to tell you about dying to tell you about actually is multiple choice it is by alejandro sambra and is translated from spanish into english by megan mcdowell now i know this is not a episode about translation but i just want to say thank you all the translators out there for making these works accessible to us like i don't think you get enough credit sometimes you're letting us into these worlds and these perspectives that we will never get access to so thank you i think this book took full advantage of this form to tell a story. And the format is what I think gets the readers to experience and feel what it is like to live in the author's world and to live in his character's world. I think sometimes when books are say they're clever, they're just clever, right? Like, But I think this book is not just challenging you intellectually, but it's also tugging at your heartstring. And I think that's really hard to do. So really amazed at this book. 
As you can probably guess from the title, multiple choice, this book is indeed presented in a multiple choice test, specifically one that is modeled after the Chilean verbal aptitude test that the students used to have to take when they apply for college. So there are 90 questions in five categories. We have excluded terms, so like which one of these words are not like the other. Um, we have sentence order, sentence completion, sentence elimination, and reading comprehension. And even though this book is only about 128 pages, you will find yourself spending so much longer reading this through this little slim volume because that format demands your time and your attention. In the fill in the blank section, for example, you want to substitute all the choices, read the sentence again, and to see how it changes the meaning of the sentence. What is the author trying to say here? And I think by having this weird multiple choice format, it actually makes you think so much more deeply about each word on the page, and you're going to find yourself so much more engaged. Sort of like Sadie book, this, I would say there's not necessarily a plot here. It is more like a collective story of the experiences of people living under a military dictatorship in Chile. But I think the author not only manages to get us living through this experience with the words, with the questions, with the answers that he has chosen, but I think especially and, and particularly successfully through the form itself, because when you're taking this multiple choice test in the first section is uh, you know in the which word it's not like the other section it, it seems straightforward right you know with a bunch of words and you're trying to think which one doesn't fit and sometimes some of the words will have double meanings and you're like ah I see what you're doing there clever clever but you don't really know what's going on yet because you just have all these words and all these concepts kind of like floating in your mind and you're not really sure how they're related, how they're connected yet. And of course, we want to connect things. We want to make association. Then you move on to the next section when you're trying to rearrange sentences in the right order, so to speak. Sometimes you're given pretty regular choices like, okay, you're given five sentences and the order should be sentence five, sentence one, and then two, four, and three. But sometimes you're given choices like it should be sentence one, one, three, three, three. Or sometimes it's just sentence five, 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 five. So when you're reading those sentences in all those different orders, and especially when they're repeated like that, all the meaning, the emotions that they're trying to evoke, everything get amplified. And, and you're trying to get a sense of like, what the author is trying to emphasize here. And sometimes, of course, the choices are absurd. They don't make any sense. They're random. And sometimes they are no good choices. Everything is just awful. And it's this gradual realization that there's just this illusion of choice. You think you are participating in this as an equal partner, but the choices that are given to you are they are standardized. They are sanctioned. They are what the authority said. Yeah, sure. These are the choices we think you can have. They are acceptable. And so are they really truly choices? Do you really get to pick? And then, of course, you have this whole section called sentence elimination, all about things being erased, for about erasing things. And it's the whole idea living under the regime that you have to pretend you don't see things in order to survive. And so here you are 
taking this multiple choice test, but also at the same time experiencing what life may be like for people in Chile during that era. There are just so many metaphors hidden in this exercise, and I think there's so many different ways you can read this book. And yes, the subject is heavy. It is, you know, definitely thought-provoking. It is terrifying. But I think the book, like many good kind of satires, like it's playful and it's almost funny at times. And I think the form in this case really enhanced sort of what the author is trying to say and enhance his messages. You can probably tell I'm like completely obsessed with this book. Like I cannot wait to read it again. I would love to read more of his works. So um, again, it is called Multiple Choice and it's by Alejandro Sambra, translated by Megan McDowell. Very cool. Very, very cool. Mm, everyone's coming up with such interesting formats. All right. Um, I'm going to swing it over to poetry. And again, I think I've said in other episodes, I don't read poetry. It's not something that I read. However, if it is poetry telling a story narratively, somehow it becomes my favorite genre of all time. I love novels in verse. I love them for middle grade. I love them for YA. The weird thing is there's not a ton of them for adults. It's a format that has for some reason or another kind of stayed for children and teens. And I would actually love to see more publishers kind of taking a chance on novels and verse as kind of like the nonfiction or memoir poetry has kind of gained steam for adults. I'd love the same thing to kind of be a, uh, kind of like extended over to adults. This is, I think, one of the best ones out there. One of, it's an award winner. It won the Prince Award. It won the National Book Award. It is a debut novel. It was a uh, Paula Belpre award winner. Um, so if you're looking to kind of find your in into a novel in verse, if you are an adult, you're looking for something that's really meaty, that's really deep, that has so much to say and is really going to let you know a character and love them and you will take them into your heart. I would heartily recommend picking up The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. It is about 15-year-old Cio Marta Bar Batista. She is growing up in Harlem. Her family is Dominican and she feels invisible. She knows that inside of her kind of like burns this fire. She has so much to say. She has so much that she wants to change, that she wants to confront, that she wants to, to express. But in her school, in her family, in her community, she feels silenced. And so the outlet for her to express herself is in a little leather journal that she pours down and pours out all of this poetry about her feelings, about her culture, about her religion, about her contentious relationship with her mother. Even though she might not call herself that, Mara is a poet and she she is invited to join a slam poetry club, but she is not sure that she should or could or that she'll fit in or that she's brave enough to kind of step up and let her voice be known. And part of that is because her mother is very traditional, is very strict, and really wants Siomara to be kind of an ideal girl. She wants her to participate in their religion. She wants her to attend convocation. She wants her to, to be perfect 
And that's not who Siomara is. She is angry at the injustices that she sees in the world. She is angry at the way that she sees her religion treating women. She is angry at her society for thinking less of her because she is a girl. On top of that, she is also struggling with, because this is a YA novel, first love, first love. And it is a boy that she knows her mother will not approve of. And so she has so much hidden inside of her. She has so much that she is keeping a secret from everyone around her. And it all comes to a head when her mother sees her on the subway making out with this boy that she shouldn't be. And the confrontation and fallout of all of that. It is, in some ways, a really classic coming-of-age story. It is a tale of, of like, the the dynamics between families, the dynamics between uh, first-generation and second-generation immigration. But it is so fresh and uniquely told. So Elizabeth Acevedo um, describes herself or self-identifies as an Afro-Latina. She is a spoken word performance, an award-winning slam poet. She is amazing at distilling a feeling or a moment or a thought into like this beautiful poetry that even if you are not a poem person, you will find yourself just blown away by how she manages to take a feeling and just express it with words. And that's kind of the magic of poetry is that can take these really big things, these really big ideas that you cannot even articulate yourself and just kind of sear them into your brain with one or two lines. It is a beautiful coming of age. Is it a beautiful collection of poetry? It tells the story. You really get to know Siomara. You really feel for her. You you just are plunged right into her, her heart because it is told through poetry, because it's so immediate, because it's coming directly from her, her deepest self. So this is a story of a poet finding their voice. And with this debut of a amazing, shining new talent in YA writing that I hope writes many, many, many more books. Uh, And so we're going to finish off this unconventional episode with Fiona. All right. Um, So the book that I have chosen uh, talks about Indian residential schools. Um, So it's a very upsetting content and it could be disturbing uh, for listeners. This book uses poetry, music, and comics uh, to tell the story of Chani Wenjack. It's called Secret Path, and the words are by Gord Downey, and the pictures are by Jeff Lemire. Uh, Both of these men are white, and of course, Gord Downey is the, was the lead singer of the Tragically Hip. Uh, I'm a big hip fan, uh, and it's probably how I learned about this the first time. Lemire also has a lot of great comic books, uh, and they're both Canadian. So this book started out as 10 poems by uh, Downey, and he eventually adapted those poems into 10 songs, and then eventually had Jeff Lemire uh, draw the pictures to create a graphic novel for it. Uh, It is an oversized graphic novel in very strange dimensions. Uh, So if you're ever looking for it at a library, it's probably like underneath 
in the like oversized section. I've definitely had it at like uh, at libraries and we like just struggle to get it to stand up or like where do we, it's the only one that's like not in a line. So sometimes it's a bit tough to find. It's a really beautiful book and the way that it uses so many uh, different media to help you to feel and understand uh, Chani's story. It uh, was also the starting point for the Gord Downey and Chenny Wenjack Foundation, and I believe some of the proceeds uh, go to that foundation. You can find uh, videos and like little animations of it uh, on YouTube and on the CBC website and interviews with Chani's uh, sister uh, and Gord and the process of creating this book. So um, Chani went to the Cecilia Jeffrey Indian Residential School in the 60s, uh, and this is in Ontario. Uh, he, is, he was Anishinaabe from Ogoki Post on the Martin Falls Reserve. And in the story and based on uh, real life, Chani runs away with uh, two friends, uh, Ralph and Jackie because they have this idea that there's this secret path which will lead them uh, away from the residential school and the abuse and uh, take them home. So for his two friends, this is true because their home was actually close to the residential school. However, Chani is actually miles and miles and miles, I think 370 miles from Martin Falls Reserve. So um, he stays with his friend's parents uh, for a couple of days, and then they give him seven matches uh, and a little bit of food, and uh, he goes back out to try to walk home. Uh, he walks around along the railroad. So Chani was a boy who died uh, trying to escape residential school, and the autopsy showed that he he died from uh, exposure and um, hunger. He survived by uh, one of his sisters who worked on this project. Like I said, the, the multimedia aspect of it really makes it interesting to take in in a different way. The music is quite low key. Um, it's mostly just Gordowney singing and guitar. It's not got a lot of flair. And it's, and it's so it actually really does feel like more of a storytelling album. I, like when I listened to it, it was something that I just sat down and listened to like I was listening to an audiobook or something to, to really hear that story. And it's it's a little bit samey. Not much sticks out to me except for this repeat in one of the songs that just says uh, there is no secret path. path. There is no secret path. And sometimes I just remember that refrain and tear up because it's so upsetting. Actually, I wrote a paper about this. Um, when I did my MLIS about like how awful I thought it was that uh, two white men were writing this book um, and that the that they didn't find um, a First Nations artist. And my prof very thoughtfully said to me, like, you know, I'm glad that you encourage people to use other materials as well. But the reach that Gord Downey has just makes this such a valuable book. Like personally, if I had to choose a band to represent Canada, I would would say the the tragically hip. So I think Gordowney really wanted this to be his legacy uh, of what he he left behind, acknowledging how much work there is for Canada to do to do to right the wrongs of 
residential school. And I think, and that work is uh, still going on. I know that I think the, the yearly benefit concert either just happened or is happening very soon with all sorts of great Canadian musicians. And so it really is a project that, that has sort of a lasting effect and really a long reach. It's not a big time commitment, but it's definitely a big emotional commitment. So I, I recommend checking it out in, in conjunction with other books about residential schools. Oh, thank you, Fiona. Thank you. All right. So that was, that was just five books, five unconventionally told stories, but there are so much more out there. Yeah, I would encourage... I would encourage you to kind of like challenge yourself, maybe pick up one of these, these books that, that we have enjoyed or next time you flip through a book and you, you come across it in a format that you did not expect. Don't be, don't be scared. Don't, don't panic. It'll be okay. You might find something unexpected. You might find that the, the format is just the wrapper, but inside the Werther's original is just as good. So thank you so much, uh, all of my book friends, for these fantastic recommendations to go and pick up. And uh, make sure, if you haven't already, to sign up for the Summer Reading Club at the library for your chance to read cool books all summer long and maybe win some prizes at the end. Um, you can find more information on our website or when you stop into the library, come by the information desk and ask about the teen and adult Summer Reading Club. But for now, we would like to say farewell or I was going like backwards, backwards, like a book entirely done backwards. You know, I'm working stuff out. I'm working stuff out. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then. Keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.